Well, as you know, uh, the last three weeks, this is now the fourth week, um, we've been teaching a series at the church here on um, just the LGBTQ um, topic. And uh, today I want to share a message that's part of that, that series. I hope that you will maybe go back and listen to the other three if you haven't up until this point. Uh, They kind of build upon one another. So let's pray together and look in God's word. So Lord, I ask you in Jesus' name, allow me to share your word in a way that would be life-giving to us, Lord. Let your word just become alive in our hearts, Lord Jesus. And where we need to change or be adjusted in our own thinking, I pray you would do it this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, my topic for this, this series is called Full of Grace and Truth, and it is the church's loving, loving response to the LGBTQ community. I mean, I'm giving a very narrow topic. This, uh, this whole subject is very broad. It touches on so many areas of life. You know, from religion to politics to education to media to, I mean, it just, it's very pervasive within our society. So what I want to share this morning is, how does it, how is the church to respond? Now, in the last few weeks, you know, we talked about three different things. And and it's really, to me, why this is such a divisive topic. It's, It's become divisive within the church. Speaking today about the church, how does the church respond? Even in the church, the whole LGBTQ question is very divisive, and it's you know it's a difficult one to deal with. Um, we talked about the first week about the need to have a biblical worldview because the the reason why the church is so divided is because there's a big portion of the church that's moved into a progressive world vision. In other words not holding to the, to the truths in the scripture as historically known, but sort of morphing and changing along with the culture of the day. That's, that's caused a huge division. Another reason why it's difficult is because sin has corrupted our minds. You know, we talked about why are we here? And it's because of the sin nature. And when sin comes into our lives, and it does at birth, we were born in sin and iniquity, and my mother conceived me, that clouds our thinking. Every human being is affected and corrupted by sin to some degree. And it begins to affect our judgment about life. So that's the second reason why it's difficult. And the third is because when you talk about LGBTQ, it's not an issue. It's not just an issue. It's people. You know, it's, it's people. And some of you maybe know somebody who's gay or lesbian or transsexual or whatever else, transgender. And when you talk about LGBTQ, what comes to your mind is a person, not just an issue, not a topic. But it's a person, and it's, it's someone you love. Maybe it's a family member. Maybe it's a son or a daughter. Maybe it's a cousin. Maybe it's a parent. Maybe it's a friend at school. So, 
you know, we look at that and we say, oh my goodness, when you talk about LGBTQ, all I can see is, you know, my friend Bob or whatever they may, their name might be. And so it, it becomes a very a heartfelt, touching issue. And, and that sometimes makes it hard for us to understand how should we respond? How do we respond when it's somebody that I love and care about? So I'm hoping this morning to kind of give us some biblical guidelines to help us. That's my title, The Church's Loving Response to the LGBTQ Community. So I'm going to share a, a couple slides next. So the church fits in this spectrum. On one end of the spectrum over here, you have people who are, who are not welcoming and not affirming. What that means is we're not affirming people who are involved in this lifestyle, but then we're not welcoming either. And on the other end of the spectrum, you have people who are welcoming and affirming. And, and churches fit on, on both these spectrums and somewhere in between. Every church kind of fits somewhere in between these. That makes sense to everybody? When I, when I talk about affirming, what I mean by that is you're saying, we affirm this lifestyle, we agree with it, we celebrate it. That's affirming. Okay, and welcoming and affirming, not welcoming, not affirming. Another way to say it in my next slide is grace at the expense of truth or truth with no thought of grace. It's one way to think of it. Because my, as I look at this topic, I'm, I'm looking at, well, how does Jesus want us to be? You know, I don't, I don't want to necessarily take on a denomination's point of view. I want to take on Jesus' point of view. And the Bible tells us that Jesus came full of grace and truth. And so when I think of this, this spectrum here, I don't want to just have truth with no grace. I mean, who wants that? And I don't want to be over here grace with no truth either. Somehow we have to find ourselves full of grace and truth, both, just like Jesus. I'm going to show you an example on my next slide. This is uh, from the news. I don't know, this is October 13, 2022. A pastor inviting a drag queen to church for children's sermon is a sign of dying United Methodism. This is real life happening in our world today, this is, this is grace, no truth. If something's missing, I mean, you, you got to ask yourself the question. Remember that little, those little bands we used to wear called WWJD, what would Jesus do? I don't think Jesus would do this. You know, I mean, in, in reality. He would speak to it. He would love those people, but he wouldn't, that's not what he would be embracing. But there's the other side of the coin as well. I don't know if you guys saw this on the internet. This is from, uh, I've got a date. Oh, this is June 9th, 2022. Texas pastor says gay people should be shot in the back of the head. Jesus doesn't want this either. You know, somehow this, 
this idea of, and I put truth in, in quotes because that's not really truth. But somehow a person has taken on this understanding of how do we deal with this? How do we deal with this issue? And that's extreme. And, and you've got to ask the question, is this what Jesus would do? But I, I, I showed these to you guys just to show you how, how broad this spectrum really is. It's very, it's very broad. And the question isn't, should we do this or that? The question is, how can we be full of grace and truth in the midst of a world that's kind of going crazy around this particular topic? So John 1, verse 14. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. That was Jesus. He actually came and lived here. He became God became a man, he became flesh, he dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, the glory as of the only son from the Father, and it calls him full of grace and truth. I mean, I don't, I don't pretend standing here before you today that I understand all of what that means, to be full of grace and truth. I mean, Jesus was the embodiment of that, but that's what I want to be. And that's what I want our church to be. I don't want us to be over here and I don't want us to be over there. I want us to be able to say, hey, you know, we live in a fallen world. We live in a world that's kind of going crazy in a lot of different ways. But we need to be full of grace and truth. That's how Jesus came. And when we, when we come into the church, when we come into the, the kingdom of God, the Bible says we are part of the body of Christ. And in a sense, we are representing him to the world. So I want to be full of grace and truth. Amen. I hope you do as well. In John 1.17, it says, The law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Amen. Grace and truth came through Jesus, distinct from the law. Now, I want to read a story from the book of John. It's not talking about uh, a gay or a lesbian or transsexual person here, but it's talking about a person caught in sin, person caught in sin that required them to be stoned according to the law. The law came through Moses, grace and truth came from Jesus. So let's, what I want to see is how did Jesus deal with this issue? And it kind of informs us a little bit about maybe how we can deal with the world around us today. And so it says, early in the morning, he came to the temple. All the people came to him, and he sat down and taught them. Now, the scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who'd been caught in adultery. I mean, it wasn't like she was accused of it. She was actually caught in the very act. And they placed her in the midst. They said, teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. Now, in the law of Moses... We're commanded to stone such a woman. So what do you say? Now, before I move on and read the rest of this story, let me ask you this question. When you look at these Pharisees, where do you think they're leaning on that spectrum if they were, if they were in the modern world today? Truth and no grace. See, they were, hey, this is what it says. We need to stone this person. What do you say, Jesus? What do you say? Next page. This they said to test him, that they might have some charge to bring against him. So Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger on the ground. 
You know, I've, for years and years, I've wondered what in the world that was all about. And, and I think I have some insight on it today, which I'll share with you in a moment. What was Jesus doing when he's writing on the ground? He, he wrote down, he bent down and he wrote with his finger on the ground. And as they continued to ask him, they said, hey, what do you want us to do here? Called to, to stone this person. What do you say? They're, they're, they're asking, they're pressuring him. They continued to ask him. He stood up and said, let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. How many of you standing here would be, would be willing to throw that stone? Anybody here? Okay. What was Jesus looking at here? He was looking at grace. He was, he was moving this way. He wasn't moving that way. He was moving the other way. Let him who's without sin among you be the first to throw the stone. He wasn't denying that she should be stoned. He just said, hey, you know, when, they, when you came to stone somebody under the law, you had to have two or more witnesses. And basically what Jesus did is remove the witnesses. So he did, in fact, fulfill the law. Once more, he bent down and wrote on the ground. Verse 9, when they heard it, they went away one by one, beginning with the older ones. And then Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. And Jesus stood up and said to her, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? See, where's the witnesses? And she said, no one, Lord. And Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. Go, and from now on, sin no more. See, that's grace and truth. He said, I'm not condemning you, but go sin no more. He didn't say, I'm not condemning you, continue. I'm not condemning you, I affirm what you're doing. He said, I'm not condemning you, but go and sin no more. He calls her to truth. And I believe that's really where we, we need to stand on this issue. We need to have somehow grace toward people. We're not here to condemn. We, who are we to cast the first stone? But we, we have to call people to go sin no more. Just like we call each of us. Don't, don't continue in sin. Now, John's, or Jeremiah 17, I think, is where we start understanding what is this writing in the dirt about? What is this writing on the ground? So he says here, the heart is deceitful above all things. How many of you know that's true even for us? I mean, the heart is deceitful. Yeah, that's one of the things we mentioned at the very beginning of this message today is one of the reasons why this is such a difficult topic to deal with is because our hearts have been affected by sin, corrupted by sin in a lot of ways. So we think, we, we think unbiblically about many things in life. And so Jesus said this, or the scripture in Jeremiah, the heart is deceitful above all things, and it is desperately sick. The word deceitful means crooked and polluted. It's crooked and polluted. 
And desperately sick means, this is the Hebrew in your strongest concordance, means incurable. Think about that. Now, we know that when you come to Christ, there's a new, a new heart. But this is the condition of the heart of people. It's desperately wicked above all things. Who can understand it? And then he says this, I, the Lord, search the heart and test the mind. You know, the Lord, the Lord penetrates into the very heart of people to reveal what's really there. My heart is deceitful. And it can deceive me and, and lead me down a crooked path. But, but the Lord can penetrate into my heart and into my mind and show me. And I believe that's what he wants to do for all of us. The Lord searches the heart and he tests the mind to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his deeds. And then he says, like the partridge, it gathers a brood that she did not hatch. So is he who gets riches, but not by justice. In the midst of his days, they will leave him, and at the end, he will be a fool. So he kind of gives a little illustration about a bird that is gathering things that she didn't really hatch, or not really hers. But in the end, they fly away, and she's left alone. And then we go down to verse 12, and he says this. He says, a glorious throne... Set on high from the beginning is the place of our sanctuary. O Lord, the hope of Israel, all who forsake you shall be put to shame. And those who turn away from you shall be written in the earth. See, those who turn away from you shall be written in the earth. He's talking about, you know, it, it, there was a way in the, in the Hebrew language Oftentimes, a rabbi would quote a portion of scripture, and they knew the rest of it because they memorized it. He could just say one thing, and they, like, you know, maybe John the Baptist. He's the voice of one crying in the wilderness, but they knew everything else Isaiah said about it. They could just quote a little piece, and everybody would tag it on. And I think when Jesus bent down, and he did it twice, he bent down and he wrote in the dirt twice, I, I think that these Pharisees would have called this to mind. It's just an opinion. He says, those who turn away from you shall be written in the earth, for they have forsaken the Lord, the fountain of living water. See, what happens is we can be just like these Pharisees. You know, I would say in my life, when I was a brand new Christian, I was like a Pharisee when it came to this topic. You know, I had a, a personal experience when I was a young boy where a person tried to molest me. Thankfully, nothing happened, but it made me hate, made me hate homosexual people. And, you know, I, when I became a Christian, I almost felt justified in that hatred because of reading about Sodom and Gomorrah. You know, and think, oh, well, yeah, that's right. This is the way it is. And sometimes that judgmental heart that, that points, to, points to truth forgets that I too am guilty. I too, I mean, I, I can't stand up and cast a stone. But the, what the Lord did with me is he, he brought a man into my life who 
I never knew was a homosexual person. Came into my life, we began to be friends. He, he used to be a pastor of a church. He had been married, got divorced. And, you know, I loved this brother. We, we, we talked, we counseled, we shared together. And then one day he calls me up at night, like, like almost midnight. He goes, hey, I want to come over and talk to you. Can I come over to the house? I said, yeah, come on over. And as we hung up the phone, I, I just like the Lord gave me like a word of knowledge. He said, he's going to come over here tonight and tell you he's a homosexual. And I just couldn't believe it. I mean, it just was totally off my radar. And so he came over, and we talked, and he just kind of hem-hawed around for an hour or so. He said, well, I'm going to leave. I said, did you talk about everything you wanted to talk about when you were here? He goes, no, nah, but I'll get it another time. But I pulled out this. I had written it down on a piece of paper. I pulled this paper. I said, is this what you wanted to talk about? He goes, yeah, that's really it. He just poured his heart out. Now, this guy, I mean, what happened with me there is the Lord let me love this man before I knew his sin. You know, something changed in me. And so I, I, there was grace. There was truth, but there was grace. Whereas before, I think I was leaning over here, you know, in, a, in my heart. And I'm so glad the Lord changed that. And this man struggled for years. I mean, we would get together and pray and, you know, just helping him walk through. You know what happened eventually is the Lord delivered him. He was set free. He actually went back and he married his wife. Now, he's passed away now, but the Lord did a great work in his life. But, you know, there was probably a day when he never would have been my friend. There was probably a day in my younger days when I was more over here and I wouldn't have had those conversations. But somehow the Lord worked in my heart to have grace. And, and, in, and because of that, I was able to, you know, I'm sure it was very little what I did, but just being there and pointing him to Jesus. You know, I just kept pointing him to Jesus. And Jesus is what changed him. But that, that ministry never would have happened had the Lord not tricked me <laughs> and changed my heart. And I see that here in Jeremiah 17 that, you know, there's this deceitful heart that's there, desperately sick, but the Lord's testing, you know, what's really going on in here. And all the while, he's saying, there's this glorious throne. When I see that throne, you see what it says there in verse 12, there's a glorious throne set on high from the beginning. It's the place of our sanctuary. When I see that, I'm thinking, that's where I need to be. I don't need to be a Pharisee. I'm not the sex police. I need to come to the throne under the lordship of Jesus. Because under the lordship of Jesus, I push for truth. What, what else can I do? When I'm, on, when I'm submitted to the lordship of Jesus, I have to say yes to the word of God. I can't change it. I can't adjust it. I can't make it progressive for my culture in this day. I have to stand for truth because I'm under this lordship of Jesus. I'm standing before this throne. And see, those Pharisees weren't. They had forsaken him. 
They had turned to their own way. They were, they were using the law as this weapon, really to get at Jesus. And they had somehow forsaken the thing that would have brought them to grace and truth. And it is standing before the throne. And the other thing it mentions here at the end of that verse 13 is they have forsaken the Lord, the fountain of living water. You know what? I think if we as believers can come to the throne, I mean, really stand under the throne of Jesus as my Lord, you won't have any problem being a woman or a man of truth, afraid to speak the truth or afraid to hold to the truth or afraid to call others to the truth because we're under the lordship of Jesus. And then the other side of that is there's this fountain of living water because the fountain of living water brings us to Jesus because only he can satisfy. That's the one that sets us free. You know, when Jesus came to this woman at the well, what did he tell her? You know, she was a woman who was finding her satisfaction in life through sex. She had five husbands. She's living with a guy right now who's not her husband. And what did Jesus say to her? I'm going to give you some water to drink and you will never thirst again. See, she was looking for some kind of satisfaction, which all these people are. All of us are. We're looking for something in life that's going to satisfy us, and it's only found in this fountain of living water. And I'm telling you, when you come to Jesus, that's what happened to my friend. He came to Jesus, and he didn't need that anymore. It was, it was coming to Jesus that satisfied his longing. He didn't have to come over here and practice this lifestyle. He's like, Jesus, you're everything I need. And so what happens is we forsake this. We forsake the throne. We forsake this living water. And then we're, we're left to a deceitful heart that either pushes us over here or over here. If I forsake the throne, then I, I lay truth aside. I, I push it aside for grace. Or I might find truth over here and commit to that, but forget these people need Jesus. They need to drink from this fountain of life. Can I help bring them to that? And so that's what I think was happening when Jesus wrote down in the sand. I think he was telling these Pharisees, look, you guys, your heart's deceitful above all things, desperately wicked. And I'm searching it out. I'm searching your heart. I'm penetrating your heart right now. And you have forsaken the throne. You have forsaken this fountain of living water. Look at you guys, man. Look where you're at. And I say, man, Lord, don't let that be the church. Don't let us be like the Pharisee world. And the only way we can do that, I think, is to really come to Jesus. To come to that throne and drink from that water. When you do, I believe that God will do what he needs to do in your heart to sort you out, whichever spectrum you might find yourself on. He'll bring you to the right place. I mean, Jesus pointed out their hypocrisy by saying, let him without sin cast the first stone. He's trying to show you that you're no different. You're no different. It may be a different sin, but you're no different. You need the grace of God in your life. You need the truth that will set you free. 
so I wrote this. I'm going to read it because it was so profound when I wrote it. <laughs> the only way to understand and walk in grace and truth is to come to the glorious throne of Jesus, his lordship, and to drink from this fountain of living water, water that if you drink, you will never thirst again. Otherwise, the deception of our heart will direct us more and more toward one of these extremes, either truth without grace or grace without truth. We've got to come to Jesus for this. 1 Corinthians 6, verse 9. Here's an example. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? You know that? We're talking about an eternal issue here. The unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom. Do not be deceived. See, our hearts can be deceived. He's saying, don't be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. How many can raise your hand at one of those sins? Such were some of you. Such were some of us. What happened? Grace and truth came into our life. Truth came into our life to set us free. Grace came into our life to give us mercy and forgive us. Mercy and truth came together in the face of Jesus. And now we can say such were some of us. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. Amen. Isn't that a beautiful thing? So keep this scripture in mind as I go through these points. First of all, I'm speaking to those who lean more toward the truth side and struggle with grace. Okay, you're over here. You're kind of like this side of the spectrum. This scripture we just read should motivate you to share the gospel, not be the sex police. Because people who are doing these things are not going to inherit the kingdom. And the only way they're going to inherit the kingdom is if somebody comes and tells them about the good news of Jesus, that he died for them. He died to reconcile them into a relationship with God again. That's what's going to set them free. Not by us standing here pointing the finger Look at that sinner. Look at this person. Look at that person. Look at that thing over there. They should be shot in the head. All these kind of things that are so goofy. What we should be doing is saying, Lord, help me to share the good news with this person to set them free. Because without that, they will never inherit the kingdom of heaven. God so loved the world. God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him would not perish, but have eternal life. It's, 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 it's perishing or eternal life. That's the only two options. God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world might be saved through him. If Jesus came to condemn the world, all of us are condemned. We're condemned already. He came to save us. He came to deliver us. He came to set us free. 
Do not be deceived, he said. I just wrote down here, Matthew 7, 5, take the log out of your own eye. If you're that person who's over here, leaning toward truth with no grace, take the beam out of your eye. You cannot see clearly to help another person when there's a beam in your own eye. And if you are without sin, cast the first stone. And none of us, we would all have to drop the rock. No one is here able to do this. This is a serious warning. They will not inherit the kingdom of God. But along with that is this huge message of hope. Such were some of you. It's a warning, but a message of hope that should spawn us to share the gospel. It also shows me that any person, any person can overcome any sin. They can change. Such were some of you. See, there's one, of the, one of the myths that's out there today is that a person is born this way, they can never change. It's a sin. The Bible calls it a sin. It says those who do these things will not inherit the kingdom. It's something that can be repented and turned from. And you can, you can ha- come to a time in your life where you say, that's what I used to be, but Jesus did this in me. I'm a new creation now. And, and the other thing to point out in this verse is notice that it's a list of a lot of things here. It's not just homosexuals. A lot of different sins here. Keep us out of that kingdom. How about for those of you who lean toward grace at the expense of truth? Here's a question. Is it loving to affirm a lifestyle that will keep a person out of heaven? That's a question. Is it, is it really loving to say, yes, I affirm and celebrate this? Because the Bible says, if, if you're truth, the Bible says if they continue in this, they will not inherit the kingdom. Do we think that we love more than God? I mean, do we think that we have greater wisdom than God? Greater understanding? Greater compassion? He so loved the world, he gave his son. Who has greater compassion than the Lord? And for us to come over here and say, well, that's, that's for a different day. Today we celebrate. We're basically saying we know how to love better than God. And that's grace without truth. If you're a person leaning toward grace, You have to have humility, enough humility to recognize that you too can have a deceitful heart. It's only the word of God that aligns our heart correctly. Have enough humility to at least acknowledge that. If you're leaning toward grace instead of truth, can I say to you that we should not change the word of God to fit a lifestyle. You know, the, the, the word of God calls us to change. It doesn't call us to change it. It doesn't say, well, this is what I am, so now somehow I got to shoehorn the Bible into my life. No, it says, you come here and let it change you. We are to call people to go and sin no more. 
Not to condemn them, but to say, go and sin no more. John 8, 31. The Jews said to Jesus, who believed in him, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. You will know the truth. The truth will set you free. Truth will set you free. When we're over here and we deny truth, we'll never be free. The, the, the sin will continue to have a hold of our life. We'll never be free. And Jesus is here. He's talking about sin in this portion of scripture. You'll know the truth. The truth will make you free. They said, well, we're offspring of Abraham. We've never been enslaved to anyone. How can you say you become free? And Jesus said, I say to you, everyone who commits sin is a slave to sin. So he's talking about freedom from sin. It happens by acknowledging truth. If you continue in my word, you're my disciple indeed. So if you're the person leaning toward grace, all I can tell you is turn your heart to truth. Don't, don't forget about grace, but come back to truth. Let the word of God be the guide. Freedom, freedom is not the ability to do whatever it is you want to do. That's not freedom. That can actually be the enslavement of sin. And then finally, we have to call sin, sin. Otherwise, how can we find redemption? There's scripture in Titus chapter 2. The grace of God has appeared. The grace of God has appeared. Grace. Bringing salvation for all people. Training us to renounce ungodliness. That's what grace really does. It doesn't encourage us to stay in ungodliness. It, it, it trains us to turn away from ungodliness. That's what grace does. True grace. To renounce ungodliness and worldly passion, to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. So that's, that's calling people from a life Say, go and sin no more. The grace of God comes and the truth of God comes. Neither do I condemn you, but go and sin no more. And then finally, can I say this? The teachers will receive the greater judgment. You know, I, I have a hard time in my heart thinking about Seminary trained pastors who are teaching this lifestyle as affirmed by God. The Bible says the teachers don't be don't be many many teachers because you will receive the greater judgment. And I tell you, there's I think there's a great judgment in store for those who promote this as affirming and accepting. And I pray that somehow their eyes would be open before that day comes. The Holy Spirit will never lead his people to violate the scripture. We can never affirm what God does not affirm. So last question. What, what do we do if a homosexual comes to our church? Well, can I say it's already happened? There have been people in our church who have walked in all kinds of sin. We've welcomed them. And we've loved them. And we've encouraged them 
in their relationship to Jesus. But no one is going to condone or celebrate or encourage any, any of these to continue a life of sin. You may have come into our church and you've been involved in adultery. We don't say, we receive you, please continue. <laughs> we say, we receive you, go and sin no more. We turn you to Jesus. We put you to the throne to drink from this fountain. And you'll be set free. We are not the sex police. The real issue is not sexuality. It is the lordship of Jesus. That is the issue. We, we are here to lead people to the lordship of Christ. And everybody needs it. No matter the extent of the sin you might be involved in. So what are we focused on? The gospel. And bringing people to say yes to the lordship of Jesus. That's our focus. We're not the sex police. We're turning people to Jesus. It is helping people to see that glorious throne. It is helping people drink from that living water. If you lead people to Jesus, he'll sort their life out. How many here have had your life sorted out by Jesus? Now, let me ask you a question. How many here have had your life sorted out because somebody came and rebuked you or corrected you? Let me see your hand. Okay, a few of us, many of us here. How many of you had your life sorted out just by Jesus in some area? Let me see your hand. He's good at that. And when you come to the throne and you come to the fountain, he'll sort it out. He did that with a woman at the well, didn't he? I mean, there is a, such a picture of grace and truth. And that lady's life was turned upside down because she met Jesus. That's what I want to see. I have, just, uh, I have one last scripture here, I guess. Paul writes to Timothy, If I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God. The church is called a household, an oikos. It means a relational network. The church is like a family, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth. So what is the church? It's a family, but it has to hold to the truth. It's a family. It invites people to this family. No matter who you are, no matter where you've walked, no matter what you've done, you're invited to come and partake in the household of God. But the church is also the pillar and foundation of truth. It's grace and truth. So stand with me. Here's my last statements, my last 25 statements. <laughs> This went a little bit long today, but I had a lot of material to cover. I pray that Alliance Christian Center and actually churches throughout our city would welcome all people into the household of God. This is the household of God. 
Our message isn't clean yourself up and then come to Jesus. It's come to Jesus. Drink from that fountain. Stand before that throne. He'll take care of you. He will take care of the rest. So I pray our church welcomes people to the household of God, but I also pray that we would never compromise on truth. That we stand on the truth. We would love and respect each person as created in God's image. Every person is created in the image of God. Loved, loved enough by him to die for them. Every person. I pray that we could be known as a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Amen? So often when we get saved, we, we call people to separate from the world. We cut off all of our friends who are tax collectors and sinners. Let's reverse that. The people could say of you, there's a friend of sinners. It's not condoning. It's not condoning anything. Just that I'm a friend. I'm a friend of this tax collector. I'm a friend of this sinner. I'm a, I'm a friend of this homosexual person. I'm a friend of this drug addict. Can you say that? I hope you can. I hope that would be your heart. That we could be a friend of sinners. That was the testimony of Jesus. May we keep our focus on making disciples. Not trying to straighten everybody's life out. Make a disciple. Their life will straighten out. They're following Jesus. Jesus called us to make disciples who will become people in his image, not ours. How many of you know that Jesus knows exactly what they're involved in? And he will work with them. I want people to be able to say that they came to Jesus and they found out that they will never thirst again. Never thirst again. Because Jesus met the need. If you struggle with same-sex attraction, you're here, you struggle with same-sex attraction, and you want to follow Jesus, you're welcome here. You're welcome here because all of us struggle with something. We will accept you, love you, and we will point you to Jesus as your Lord. But you're welcome here. You're welcome here to hear about this Savior who loved you so much to die for you. We're not building walls here. Say, hey, it's only by reaching them for Jesus they can even be delivered from that. At the same time, we, we will never affirm any sin. We can't. We stand under the lordship of Jesus. We can't affirm any sin. We will not celebrate a lifestyle that contradicts the way of Jesus. We only stand under his lordship and we submit to his word. And in as much humility as we can, we will have grace and compassion and kindness toward all. And I hope that we will be known as a friend of sinners. If you're a sinner, you can go to that church. You can hang out with those people. That's what I hope we can be known as.
I hope we can all say, along with Jesus, neither do I condemn you, but we'd also say, go and sin no more. I pray that we could all find our place under that glorious throne of Jesus and that each one of us will be able to drink from that living water so that we can say, I never thirst again. Amen? So, Lord, I pray you help us to not fall into this trap of the Pharisees. Lord, to those who lay truth aside to extend grace, I pray that somehow you'd help us to find ourselves full of grace and truth. And in doing so, we could reach many more people for the sake of your kingdom. I ask you for this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. If anybody needs prayer for anything, please feel free to come up. We'd be glad to pray with you.